Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to a mini-episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, brought to you by FilmDivider.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our X-Men Origins Wolverine and Watchmen episodes. Uh, Apologies in advance, my voice sounding a little bit croaky this week, but we shall persevere nonetheless. In today's episode, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended to me on last week's show. Those were Origin and Wolverine Volume 2, Issue 10. But before we get to those, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. Okay, first up, Captain America the Winter Soldier and Civil War directors Anthony and Joe Russo will direct the Avengers Infinity War Parts 1 and 2. No writers have been confirmed as of yet, but Badass Digest Devin Farachi believes that Marvel are in talks with Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who you may know have written all of the three Captain America movies to date. Meanwhile, we also got our first official synopsis for Captain America Civil War, which is, and I quote, Following the events of Age of Ultron, the collective governments of the world pass an act designed to regulate all superhuman activity. This polarises opinion amongst the Avengers, causing two factions to side with Iron Man or Captain America, which causes an epic battle between former allies. So, um, pretty much what we expected then. We also got another look at Avengers Age of Ultron, which uh, was arguably the most enjoyable one yet, um, and it was only a minute long TV spot. Each character gets a cool little moment, and we get to hear Quicksilver's amusing Russian accent for the first time. You didn't see that coming? Pretty sure that was spot on. Um, Joss Whedon also confirmed in an interview with Marvel's Lorraine Sink that the film would feature surprise characters from elsewhere in the MCU. Right now, there aren't many characters due to appear in Marvel's Phase 3 that we'd confidently rule out from appearing in some capacity in Age of Ultron, even those that we don't know the casting of yet. Marvel and Sony appear to be looking to cast a Spider-Man actor in the 16 to 17 year old age range after rumours that 16 year old Matthias Ward tested for the part. 
Ward is best known for roles in Weeds and Hostages on TV, so if that rumour is true, it also suggests that they are looking at relative unknowns for the part. We think if they decide to go in the other direction, Asa Butterfield and Dakota Goyo could be good fits. But this news all does chime with some other whispers we've heard about Mad Men's Kean and Shipka, Willa Fitzgerald and Bella Thorne all meeting with Sony for an unknown role. Uh, could that possibly be a young Mary Jane Watson or perhaps even Gwen Stacy? AMC's Preacher has been busy assembling its cast, with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. star Ruth Negger joining the adaptation of Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon's comic book series as the female lead Tulip, and Ian Coletti has also signed up to star as Arseface. The 18-year-old Coletti's biggest role to date was on the TV show Rake, while Negger's involvement has led to a lot of speculation that her time on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. may be about to come to an end. Um, Another star from the MCU continues to be discussed in relation to the show, Dominic Cooper, that is Marvel's Howard Stark, is being heavily rumoured for that lead role, but as yet nothing has been confirmed. After Nicholas Holt discussed X-Men Apocalypse being the last film on his X-Men contract last week, Jennifer Lawrence has confirmed that Apocalypse is also her last X-Men movie. That suggests that at least some of the original first-class cast signed up for three movies, and that they'll only be sticking around if those contracts are extended. Lawrence sounded a lot more definite about this than Holt did, who actually said that he would like to keep playing the character, which is probably more understandable given their respective careers at this point. Universal have optioned the Mark Millar and Sean Gordon Murphy comic Chrononauts for development. The first issue from Image Comics was only released this week, but it follows a scientific duo who are the first to travel back through time. Um, Actually, looking at that idea, it actually sounds a lot like the radio sitcom A Brief History of Time Travel that Seven James of this parish wrote themselves and directed back in 2013. We'll tweet a link to that and put links on the podcast post as well. Um, But in the meantime, we'll wait for Matthew Vaughan to attach himself to the Chrononauts project and ask Jane Goldman to then extensively rewrite. The movie rights to the 1984 Marvel series Crash Ryan have also been acquired, this time by producer Ryan Heppy, and he is a man who is currently working on a Short Circuit remake. My extensive Wikipedia research tells me that the original four-part story was set in alternate 1930s and depicted the fight between the United Airmen and a foe named the Doom. Variety reports that Heppy's adaptation will reinvent the story as an earthbound, steampunk-inspired fusion of Indiana Jones and Star Wars. And finally, Morena Bakarin tweeted a picture from the Deadpool set confirming that her character is called Vanessa. Um, that chimes with news we brought you back on the third minisode that she was playing copycat. TJ Miller has also confirmed he's playing Weasel, so don't be surprised if Ajax is confirmed as the villain soon. Right, let's move on now to our Wolverine comics section. Okay, let's kick things off with James's um, unusual recommendation in that it's just a single issue. Uh, This is Wolverine Volume 2, Issue 10, which goes by the title 24 Hours and is from Chris Claremont, John Bashima, and Bill Sienkiewicz. So the story is split into two halves, one in the past and one in the present, which are headed now and then. And the two stories are kind of running parallel to each other. And in the past storyline, Wolverine is reacting to his other half, Silver Fox, being killed by Sabretooth and then getting into a fight with him. And the present day stuff is happening on the anniversary of that event and generally involves Logan breaking up fights between locals, um, 
pissing them off by stopping crimes that they're committing. Um, I'll be honest, the present day stuff meant very little to me and I kind of found myself wishing I was reading the flashback stuff for most of the time. But generally in the present day stuff, a man is injured who Wolverine tries to save, he takes him somewhere to try and patch him up. Um, and then we meet Jessica Drew, who I think is Spider-Woman. Um, I'm not really sure why she was there, but she totally crawled up a wall at some point. So I guess that's my introduction to that character in the comics. Yeah, and it's just, it was generally not very interesting to me. Um, I was amused. I don't think at any point in the comic Wolverine gets his claws out. He is not wearing his usual yellow costume. In fact, he's dressed like Columbo for the most part. He's wearing a long beige trench coat. Um not the best luck for Wolverine. But as I said, there are parallels between between that plot and the fight that had occurred in the past. So when we're flashing back to that, it's essentially Wolverine and Sabretooth having a fight that kicks off in a saloon and then goes outside and eventually goes through the woods and up a mountain and then back down a mountain. And it, it pretty much plays like a good version of the first fight between Wolverine and Sabretooth from X-Men Origins Wolverine. And I say it plays like a good version of that because in it, Logan truly believes that he might die. And even though we know he won't, like even in the context of this comic, it's a flashback and he's alive in the future. That's That suspension of disbelief is always there. But the fact that Logan fears he might die in the pages of the comic really does add some stakes. And you also get more of a sense of the emotion in this than you do in the film. So in the film, there is a <laughs> there is a relationship between Kayla Silverfox and James Howlett fleshed out in a few scenes. And then when she is fake killed, we see Wolverine react very angrily. I mean, here there is no setup. Literally, the, the one and only time you see Silverfox, she's already dead. And I certainly had never seen, I don't know whether it was depicted in the comics before that, but I'd never seen those two characters together. So I had nothing to bring to it but the, the character's emotions ring a little bit more true he seems hurt and he seems angry whereas in the film's fight you only get the sense that he's angry and most of this is just fight and there's not an awful lot I can say about fight other than I I kind of liked a couple of lines of dialogue from Wolverine which are all told in kind of voiceover he says stuff like um, always pushing limits because it never entered my full head that I had any and then my favourite bit was when he thought he was going to die. He says, I learned fear and rage. Now, finally, at the hands of the consummate master, I learned what it truly meant to be hurt. And that's what I kind of mean about the vulnerability of that character. You get the sense of that. I'll be honest, given that that was a flashback and that the continuing story was the present day stuff, didn't make me desperate to read more Wolverine. Uh, certainly not of this run. But I did I did like something about the comic and I thought it actually did a good job in highlighting something that the movie got wrong, that this got right on the page. And it turns out at the end that the day that is the anniversary is also Wolverine's birthday and Sabretooth turns back up. So maybe, I don't know, if there is more show between Wolverine and Sabretooth. Maybe that's something I'll get around to reading eventually. But that was just the single issue, so I'll probably spend more time talking about Seb's recommendation, which was Origin from... Uh, and there are so many names associated to this, so I don't quite know how many to credit, but let's go for Bill Jameis, Joe Quesada, Paul Jenkins, Andy Cuba, and Richard Isanov. So this is the six-issue miniseries which tells the origin of Wolverine. 
Um, and I kind of agree, just to put my cards on the table uh, straight away, with what Seven James said last week. I personally didn't feel a desperate need to find out where Wolverine comes from. As far as I'm concerned, I think the Weapon X program is as, as far back as I ever wanted to get with Wolverine. I don't think after watching X2 I thought, oh, but what was he doing before that? It's just not something that I would... As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply interested in and frankly i think it's a shame that marvel had to tell this story if it was prompted by thinking the movies were going to get there which of course they eventually did but again something that seb and james said last week it does start strong with the setup in the house so we meet a young james howler and also a young kid called doug logan and we meet them when a young irish girl called rose is taken up to this canadian country house estate where she's going to like train to be a servant and also kind of accompany the young james howler so these three form a friendship doug logan rose and james howler james howler it's a sickly little kid and obviously I knew that James Howlett from the film was going to be Wolverine and not Dog Logan but in the first issue they do they do a very good job of uh, a misdirect um, and you get sympathy for Dog when he's been beaten by his dad um, by the second issue he is kind of morphed because of those beatings into a character just like his father who is you know really not a very good guy and the comic it shows its hand as to who is Wolverine and who isn't a little bit before the 
actual reveal in a scene where Doug Logan essentially appears to try and rape Rose. And I think at that point, even if I didn't know, I don't think I would have believed that that was Wolverine. But in, within these first two issues that we get a lot of implications rather than explicit answers about things. So James is never revealed to be Thomas Logan's, that's Doug Logan's father's biological son. It's implied and there is an implied relationship between Thomas Logan and James Howlett's mother. Uh, that's never confirmed, though. And James' mother also has claw scars. But, and we're told that Wolverine had an older brother whose grave we see. And the implication is again there that perhaps his brother had the same mutation, but he went down a darker path. And that, that actually got me wondering whether, and this is something I genuinely don't know, whether mutations tend to run in families in X-Men comics. I mean, I guess they must based on, like, there are some family connections that I've seen popping up in X-Men movies and that Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are Magneto's kids. So I guess it makes sense that they do. It was just something that I'd never really taken the time to think about before. So the movie was obviously a lot more explicit about all the relationships, but I still found that scene confusing in the movie and it took me a while to catch up on, okay, who's that character and who's that character and what's their name? Because they're all called James and John and Thomas. They're all, they're, they're all, for me, they were very interchangeable names of probably my lack of attention span. I found the showdown in the comics similarly confusing. It took me a while of kind of rereading panels and trying to figure out which which characters I was seeing in which panels and who was doing what to actually figure out what was going on, even though it was largely what happens in the film. But specifically, Thomas Logan kills John Howlett, James Howlett, aka Young Wolverine, then claws Dog Logan in the face and kills Thomas Logan. Elizabeth Howlett then kills herself, which is uh, something that doesn't happen in the movie. Um, incidentally, I would have not remembered any of those details correctly if they weren't written down in front of me, so that speaks to my confusion here. But eventually I got it. it this reflects something that James has said, like, said last week. I really liked that the movie put Sabretooth in that situation. It's almost disappointing reading the comic that you're like, oh, that's not Sabretooth. Oh, Dog Logan isn't a character that I know already. And I guess the reason he isn't is because then you can't do that twist as to which character is which. Um, if the other one has the name of another well-known mutant. Although I still don't understand in the film how Victor Creed is the son of somebody called Logan. Uh, that's never quite explained. Uh, I guess we have to just assume Victor decided to call himself Creed for a random reason. Who knows? And anyway, again, to chime with something that Seven James said last week, the, the second half of this comic was uh, much less interesting than the first. So Rose and Logan flee from the manor and take refuge in a, a mining town where there's a stone quarry in British Columbia. James has some sort of PTSD-induced memory loss in these scenes, which seems kind kind of convenient um, and maybe there purely for the reason that it will allude to his future and and there was kind of there were kind of a lot of moments like that that I didn't really like uh, the, the, the moments that I don't like about prequels in general like the Wolverine finds his jacket moment in X-Men Origins Wolverine they hey this is how this thing happened for the first time maybe this is the root of this thing that you already know is going to happen in the future so in this comic we got one scene where people explain why he's like a Wolverine and how he gets that nickname and then there's another scene where Wolverine takes interest in a book about samurais in Japan and hmm, is that foreshadowing I never saw 
story. There's a bit where he says bub for the first time. And it just seems to me like loads of scenes of really clumsy foreshadowing. And it occurred to me, if I spotted a few of them, surely people who know that character even better than I do, which is pretty much just from the movies, they must have spotted even more. <laughs> I was surprised, actually, that there wasn't eventually a scene where he went and got a haircut that went wrong. And that was how Wolverine's hair began. Generally, this second half of the story, uh, because it's, it's mostly just Wolverine and Rose from that point on, Wolverine's kind of a sullen teen. Uh, he's not very much fun to spend time with. And I guess that's the reason, combined with the twist at the beginning, why the story is mostly told from Rose's perspective. It's certainly narrated by her, by her diary entries. And we'll see Wolverine do other stuff, but it's, it's mostly told from Rose's POV. And that seems to me like an easy solution, that we don't really get inside the character's head we don't really get into any insight about how James transformed from a sickly child into a powerful mutant. It's more just Rose explaining how these things happen from afar. And I guess, I guess is Rose there because she's in some way supposed to foreshadow uh, Wolverine's future relationship with Jean Grey? That's just occurring to me. Um, and if it is, again, um, I don't think that's great. But it doesn't end well for Rose. She runs into Wolverine's claws and it on the page, it just looks silly and clumsy and a little bit dumb. Uh, and it was the moment to me that confirmed that Rose was exactly what she seemed to be, which was a storytelling prop. Which is frustrating that then she is the she is the person who tells the story, but she's only there for that device, and she's never really a proper character. But I guess that was the decision they made not to, because when you've got Wolverine's past clouded in mystery, you don't really want any characters, established universe characters, to have that memory too. It just made these six issues a frustrating read for me. I was like, well, why is this character important? Why is she here? And why am I not really learning anything about her? But after Wolverine's claws came out, I really wanted to spend time in that guy's head. I wanted to spend time just, yeah, like in the movie, I wanted to get to know that character and what made him tick and what it must have been like to go through those experiences rather than just watch what he was doing kind of one thing at a time. I guess I'm I'm slightly down on these two comics. It hasn't inspired me to read a huge amount more of Wolverine, but hopefully by the time, and this could be quite a while, but by the time we get round to covering the film The Wolverine on the show. I'm aware that the Japan stories are supposed to be some of the best in Wolverine's run, so maybe Seven James will have some more enjoyable recommendations for me that time around. Um, if you were listening last week, you'll remember that I also asked James to recommend me a Deadpool comic, um, and he told me to head to Joe Kelly's run from the 1990s. Um, and I've only read one issue so far, so this is just going to be a quick update but I read issue one hey it's Deadpool and in this comic uh, Deadpool takes an easy mission which turns out to be a setup supposed to test him so he can be recruited to a an intergalactic company who I knew nothing about. There was a couple of things here I liked which were the things that I'd heard about that I thought I might like about Deadpool so in the first page he is narrating what he's doing out loud and commenting on that narration to the other characters. Uh, there are pop culture references uh, very you know this is from the mid 90s the pop culture references is to speed uh, which which was fun um, I think they'd probably be more fun if they were current pop culture references at the time you're reading but um, maybe I've got about 15-20 years worth of Deadpool comics to cover before I will be able to have that particular pleasure it seems to me there's a lot of pressure on the Deadpool character to be funny because he is a character who's trying hard to be funny all the time he's quipping and he's fast talking and he's doing the Ryan Reynolds stick basically that he kind of needs to be funny all the time. And he is some of the time here, not laugh out loud funny, but I found myself kind of chuckling along as I was reading. But at the times he isn't, it really clangs. And 
you just I found myself kind of quickly reading on. Um, it also seems important because the character seems more vital to everything that's going on than the story. I, I, I particularly didn't find myself hugely invested in any of the missions that Deadpool was doing, but maybe that maybe that's something that I'd need to get deeper into. But yeah, generally, I, I thought this this first issue of Deadpool was okay, and I'll probably read a few more issues and maybe update you on those later. But that is it for this week. Don't forget that next week's episode will be covering Zack Snyder's 2009 film Watchmen. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM or your podcast app of choice. And if you've already subscribed, then please leave us a rating or review and we'll give you a shout out on next week's show. You can find more episodes of Cinematic Universe on cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com, panelbeats.co.uk or, as we're now a Film Divider podcast, at filmdivider.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at cu underscore podcast or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. See you next week. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.